Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. You could play video games in a couple of places in my town when I was growing up. What game you played depended on how far you were willing to ride your bike or how far you were willing to walk. For a small town, we were kind of divided into neighborhoods, and you maybe went to the next neighborhood over, but very rarely did you venture further out unless there was something good out there. Now, there was a deli on the very far side of town from where I lived, and the only reason we would go there is my mother liked the potato salad that they made. So maybe once a month, we would stop in and get some to have with some weekend lunch. She considered it a real treat. One day I went in there and I noticed that they had a video game. And it was a video game I had not seen in any other of the places to play video games in town. It was Cubert. I had seen Cubert in the arcade. It usually had a line, so I didn't get to play it much. So I was really interested. I begged a quarter off my mom and I played very quickly. I was horrible at it. I know I jumped right off the side every time I played it, right at the beginning. The whole drive home, the whole fancy lunch, I was thinking of Cubert. The next day, I got up, gathered as many quarters as I could get my hands on, jumped on my bike, and drove off to that deli to play. I burned through the four quarters probably within four minutes. I just couldn't get a handle on how to control Cubert, but I really wanted to. The next weekend, I did the exact same thing, but I did a little bit better. I got a bit of control over Cubert and managed to play a bit. At this point, I was addicted. For the next couple of weeks, any quarters I get would go to that deli's Cubert machine. Now, I thought I had gotten pretty good at the game. That changed when we went up to an arcade in northern New Jersey one weekend and my friends came along. The whole time up, we were talking about what video games we were going to play. I said, I'm going to play Cubert, guys. And they're like, Cubert? Never seen you play Cubert. I was like, no, I'm really good at it. We get up there put my first quarter in, I grab the joystick, I fall off the side. My friends start laughing. Oh, you're really good at this game. Second guy comes up, boom, I do it again. The game felt very different. Now, there's a lot of subtlety in the way a joystick will move. What I didn't realize is just how much of a difference it could make at this point. Cubert's one of those games that if you're near the edge and you push the wrong way for a second, you're dead. And the game at the deli, the joystick was way off center and you had to really hold it tight or really compensate so that you wouldn't die. The problem is I was compensating the wrong way on this new machine and it just burned quarter after quarter after quarter. I couldn't stop playing it because my friends were next to me laughing at me saying, you're not very good at this. And I'm like, no, no, I just, I don't know what's wrong. So I just kept putting quarter after quarter. I burned through all the money I had probably within five, maybe 10 minutes tops. And the rest of the day, I just had to stand and watch as my friends played a lot of games. Needless to say, the incident turned me off to Cubert for a long time, and I never went back to that deli to play it. I would play it again at that arcade and sort of relearn how to play after an event where I got a couple of free credits, which is always a bonus. But Cubert did teach me an important lesson about playing on arcade games. You have to compensate for the hardware. Get a feel for the game. Know that it could be a little different depending on how aggressive people have been with the joystick or even the buttons. 
it might be a completely different gaming experience. That's part of the magic of arcade gaming. On today's show, we're going to talk about the game that taught me a very important lesson, Cuber. We're going to talk about the company that made it, the people behind making it, how it was made, how to play, its reception, Cubert outside of the arcade, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. talk about Qbert. I want to talk a little bit about the company who made Qbert, Gottlieb. Gottlieb was an arcade game company based in Chicago, Illinois, founded by David Gottlieb in 1927 to produce pinball machines. Later, they would expand to other arcade games, bowling games, and eventually video arcade games. It seems that Gottlieb had always tried to stay on target with what was going on in the arcades, making pinball machines and then electromechanical tables. Eventually, Gottlieb would go on to make video games, probably their most popular being Qbert and Reactor. Reactor has some great music in it. In 1977, Gottlieb was bought by Columbia Pictures. Then in 83, Coca-Cola acquired Columbia and transferred Gottlieb's pinball assets to a new company called Milestar. When the video game crash in 84 happened, Coca-Cola sold Milestar to a company called Premier Technology. Premier would go back to selling pinball machines under the Gottlieb name and continued making them until 1996. The last pinball machine they made was called Barbed Wire. Gottlieb did make some quality pinball machines, but to modern video gamers, they're probably known for their two games, Reactor and Qbert. Probably more for Qbert. So if you've never seen Qbert, here is what you would expect to see. Qbert is a isometric game, sort of a platformer with puzzle elements. And in the game, you see this pyramid of cubes, and you're given control of Cubert, this adorable little guy who has to jump from cube to cube, and each jump will change the color of that cube. And you have to change all the colors of the cube to the same color before you can pass to the next board. This, of course, gets more complicated as you play it. In addition to being able to fall off this game pyramid, there are several enemies on the Cubert board that you have to contend with. Coily, a purple snake who will chase you around. Ugg and Wrong Way, two purple guys that run along the sides of the pyramid. And finally, Slick and Sam, who are these gremlins who will revert the cubes you've already changed to their original color. A collision with purple enemies will kill you. In addition, colored balls will appear at the top of the pyramid and bounce downward. If a red ball hits you, you lose a life. If you catch a green ball, it will immobilize all the creatures on screen. There is also a swirling multicolored disc on either side of the pyramid. This serves as an escape device. You jump on it and it brings you to the top of the pyramid. If Coily is after you and very close, he will usually jump off the pyramid at that point. 
which can be really helpful, especially as the game gets faster and faster. So the game gets more difficult as you play it. On the first level, you only got to change a square once to the correct color. At level 2, when you jump on a cube, it sets it to a middle color, and you need to jump on it again to set it to the final goal color. At level 3, jumping on a cube sets it to the goal color. However, a second jump will revert it back to the start color. So you have to make sure that you jump on a cube only once, or if you do jump on it again, you have to jump on it yet again to get it back to the color you want. Once you get to level 4, you get the same thing you had in level 2 where you have a middle color, but you also have the thing you had in level 3 where it will revert back to the original color. In level 5 and every level after that, the first jump changes the cube to the middle color. Then you jump again, you get the final color. But if you jump on it a third time, it changes back to the very first one. And this level repeats itself again and again and again. Also, at this point, the game has gotten very fast. Levels after level 6 are not for the casual player. Today's show is brought to you by Candy. If you're going to go to the arcade and play some Cuber, why not bring some Candy? Selling quality candy is a really swinging biz. Our candy is the sweetest thing. Next to you, that is. Love that candy. The basic idea for Cubert came from Warren Davis and Jeff Lee. In the initial concept, Lee drew a pyramid of cubes inspired by M.C. Escher and thought, I think a game could come out of this. And he drew an orange main character. That character would jump along the cubes and shoot projectiles from a tubular nose at enemies. And if you've watched the Cubert Saturday Morning Super Cave show, you'll know what that's all about. Warren Davis, a programmer, noticed Lee's idea and asked him if he could use the idea to practice some game mechanics, namely gravity and randomness. As Davis worked on the game one night, Gottlieb's VP of Engineering, Ron Waxman, saw that he was playing this game that he was working on and suggested that the color of the cubes should change after you land on them. Davis took this idea, and to make the game a little bit easier to play, the four-way joystick was rotated 45 degrees slightly to match Kubert's direction of jumping. Other people at Gottlieb thought that the traditional orientation would be better, but Davis, I think rightly so, argued that it wouldn't make any sense because that's not how you control the game. Development of the game progressed. The idea of shooting things out Kubert's nose was dropped, and you get the Cubert we see today. As they neared the production stage, test models were built and placed in local arcades. They also conducted focus groups. The big problem in these focus groups was that players originally were thrown off by that 45-degree rotation on the controller, and Davis has said that he was worried that people would not adjust. However, people do learn from mistakes, And after several rounds of playing and several bonus quarters for Gottlieb, people adjusted to the new control system. Now, a thing that happened that Davis would regret later was that he decided to reduce the game's difficulty level. This was something he would not like afterwards and something he would try to remedy. So one of the things that's really interesting about Qbert was the sound in it. David Thiel was brought on to work on creating 
a synthesized voice for Cuber and have it say things. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your point of view, he was not able to create coherent phrases. Because he wasn't, he decided to string together random syllables. Cubert, whenever he had a problem, had this speech bubble above him that had these characters that kind of seemed like he might be cursing or something like that, which people really liked. In the end, you got this effect. That is the sound of Cubert, and a very endearing and wonderful bit of sound that if you spent any time in an arcade, you're probably very familiar with. Cubert also had another very interesting sound, and one that if you played pinball machines, you're probably familiar with. It's the sound of a knocker, and they would use this sound when you jumped off the pyramid. A knock would go off against the side of the machine. They would experiment with all sorts of different sounds and eventually come up with a sound that worked really well where you would have to glue a piece of foam to the spot where the knocker was going to hit the wall. But this was deemed too costly from a labor standpoint. This knocker was controlled by a switch in the game. A lot of arcade operators would eventually come to turn it off. When I enter an arcade and I see a Cubert machine and I hear that knocker sound, I instantly turn toward it. So a great attract system. The Retroist Podcast will return after these messages. About to meet Cubert. What they don't know is that this cute little character may change their lives. It's up to you to hop the irresistible Cubert and avoid nasty characters like Ugg and Coily. And like the arcade game, the more trouble he gets into, the more involved you'll get trying to save him. You'll hop with him. You'll float with him. You'll begin to anticipate his every move. You'll grow so attached to Cubert, you'll become one of the family. Cubert from Parker Brothers. Also available in tabletop model. I'm Cubert, and I've got all the right moves. I've got the legs, too. First an arcade game, now my own home video game. I'm ready for anything. Staying away from creeps like Ugg and Coily takes a quick mind and lots of fancy footwork. The longer I hop around, the more they're out to get me. Ugh! When they said fame would go to my head, they weren't kidding. Now for all popular systems. Not easy being Hubert, but it's fun. And now back to the Retroist Podcast. So you have this great little orange character. This was a time when arcade characters were on the rise. Cubert, unfortunately, didn't have a name at this point. They originally thought of using Cubert's gibberish swearing as the name of the game, and a bunch of samples went into the arcades with that cartoon balloon as the game title. Fortunately, this was only a test, and people didn't react well, because how do you pronounce that game? Do you just swear and say, oh, I just played this whatever swear word? While that might be hilarious, people would probably get confused. The eventual naming of the game would come from the word cube, and in a brainstorming session, they had cube up on the blackboard, and somebody else wrote Hubert, so cube, hubert, sort of rhyme. Eventually, somebody said, hey, let's merge those two together, and they wrote Cubert, C-U-B-E-R-T. It's adorable. It works as a name, and also you have all these cubes in the game. Eventually, they decided to shorten it and use Q-Bert. I'm not sure how that asterisk got in there, but it did. Now, personally, I'm not a big fan of the asterisk, and I've heard from other people that they're not. It just seems like something that makes the 
name a little bit more difficult, and it seems a bit unnecessary, since you could just have Q-Bert, and it works just as well without it. But it does add a little bit of interest, and that is the name of the game. The game technical overview. The game is played on an MOS Technology 6502 ship. It operates at 894 kilohertz, a speech synthesizer, and a audio system with a 128 bytes of RAM and 4 kilobytes of ROM generate the sounds of Qbert. The game is played on a 19-inch CRT monitor, and it uses an Intel 8086 central processing unit operating at 5 MHz. The game sound chip has a high failure rate because the LM379 audio amp is rated at 28 volts, and the power supply sends 30 volts to prolong the life of your amp, you should replace the 30-volt Zener diode with a properly rated diode. Now here's Vic Sage with a brand new Why Should I Know This Person? This week, it's about Warren Davis. Hello, friends. Vic Sage here for this week's Why Should I Know This Person? And this week, I'm shining the spotlight on Qbert co-creator Warren Davis. In addition to game programming, Davis also happens to be an actor. He's had minor character roles in TV series such as All My Children, The Young and the Restless, General Hospital, The Practice, ER, Strong Medicine, House MD, and Criminal Minds. Davis also appeared in the independent feature film Yesterday Was a Lie which just happened to also feature Chewbacca himself, Peter Mayhew. The Internet Movie Database reports that Davis's first film role was for 1987's Outtakes, described as being similar to John Landis's Kentucky Fried movie. Also starring in Outtakes was the legendary Forrest Tucker, possibly best known as Sergeant O'Rourke from the classic sitcom F Troop. Warren Davis does more than just TV and film acting, He's also produced play readings at the Blank Theater in Los Angeles, California for about six years. And in 2002, Davis began to serve as guest director for the Young Playwrights Festival. This last June, Davis directed One Plus One is Four, written by 16-year-old Rachel Cayley, one of the Young Playwright Festival winners. The play asks the question, when a meteor is hurtling its way to Earth, about to destroy all in half an hour, is it too late to look for love? This has been Why Should I Know This Person? And I'm Vic Sage, signing off until next time. Thanks, Vic. When you're playing Qbert, there's a couple of little hints to help you along, especially when you're first playing it. In level 1 and 2, you'll want to drop from the top of the pyramid as quickly as possible hit the bottom, and change the lower blocks as early as you can. Then you will gradually work your way to the top. If you get into trouble, remember, grab a disc, go to the top, and repeat. From level 3 onward, you'll want to focus on getting the lower corners set to the goal colors quickly, and then try to never return to them so that they're off the playing field completely. So head to the bottom, then work your way back out to the second and third layers, connecting the corners. Once the corners are connected, the center area is a little bit easier because you'll be able to jump quickly between them and have to do less backtracking. Just a friendly reminder, level 9 is the last level on the game. When you get to it, level 9 repeats forever. 
Cubert was Gottlieb's real big video game hit and a smashing commercial success, selling about 25,000 arcade cabinets. Later, it would be joined by cabaret versions and cocktail versions of the game. The rarest of the games that you will find is the cocktail version. That seems to be often the case with arcade games. A lot of people went to the arcade, and I know this firsthand, and enjoyed this game because it was challenging. And also because Kubert was adorable, and the fact that he swore, cursed, made him much more relatable. But he was not the only game in arcades in 1982. To talk about the five best arcade games in the arcades in 1982, here's Metagirl. Five, four, three, two, one. was a great time to hang out at the arcade, and many classic games gobbled up our quarters that year, but some stood out as the best. Greetings, retro fans. This is Metagirl bringing you a top five list that was difficult to compile and maybe highly contested. Here are the top five arcade games of 1982. At number five is the Namco Atari classic Pole Position. Pole Position was not the first racing game ever made, but it raised the bar and popularized the third-person rearview racer format player perspective. Number four is Tron by Bally Midway. While the film didn't light the box office on fire, players pumped quarter after quarter into this classic to get a taste of what it was like to be on the game grid. Watch out for those pukas, because at number three is the Namco Atari powerhouse Dig Dug. Lively and energetic, Dig Dug haunts retro gamers' dreams and consistently ranks the top of their all-time favorites list. At number two is the Deathmatch Classic by Williams, Joust. Polished and fun to play in either one- or two-player mode, Joust has a special place in the hearts of gamers who like to have the option of cutthroat, head-to-head action for when life gets a little boring. And for the number one arcade game of 1982, I'm gonna go out on a limb and pick... Burger Time. This, in spite of the retroists' constant pushing for Mr. Do. Silly, yet endlessly challenging, Data East Valley Midway's Burger Time encourages us to play with our food and give up our quarters through the magic of giant hamburgers and nightmare food enemies. And there you have it, the retroists' top five arcade games of 1982. Until next time, List fans, this has been Metagirl. Thanks, Metagirl, for that controversial top five list. Cubert being a success in the arcade was also ported to various systems at home, including the Intellivision, Intellivision 2, Atari's 2600-5200, the NES, the Magnavox Odyssey, the ColecoVision, the various Game Boys, the PlayStation, the Sega Dreamcast, and the Commodore 64. And I mentioned the Commodore 64 last because I want to talk about another game made for the Commodore 64 called Humphrey, which bears somewhat of a resemblance to Cubert, and there's always been an argument as to who came up with the idea. There doesn't seem to be any evidence that Cubert was stolen from Humphrey, or the other way around. The big difference between Cubert and Humphrey is that in Humphrey, the platforms shift position, and after levels 2 and 5, there are bonus rounds. Cubert has inspired other games to mirror its gameplay. Video games like Boingo, Pogo Joe, and Mr. Cool copied a lot of the elements of Cubert. Cubert would get a sequel, Cubert's Cubes, 
which was released in 1983 and was manufactured by Milestar. It used the same hardware as the original, but in addition to Qbert, who makes an appearance again, you get some new enemies. The game is a bit more challenging. You navigate Qbert through a plane of cubes. When you jump on a cube, it rotates and changes the color of the visible sides of the cube. And the goal in the end is to match the cubes in a row. Later, you have to have multiple rows of cubes matching. Qbert's cubes would be ported to home systems like the ColecoVision and Atari 2600, but was never a huge hit like the original. Another sequel, Qbert 3, was released in the early 90s. It has gameplay sort of similar to the original, but larger levels of varying shapes, not just the pyramid. And of course, new enemies. One of the regrets that Davis had when making the game is making the game easier. So he created a version of the game called Faster, Harder, More Challenging Qbert, known as FHMC Qbert in 1983. The project was canceled and never entered production. Eventually, the FHMC Qbert ROM image would be put online and is available for main people who want to try it out. A remake with 3D graphics was made of Qbert in 1999 and was released on the PlayStation and Dreamcast. It was an okay game. The graphics were really interesting. The level design was a little off. I've always thought that they missed the mark on getting Qbert to the next level, to a modern audience. Have you heard this before? That is the theme song to the animated Qbert TV show on CBS's Saturday Supercade. Saturday Supercade was produced by Ruby Spears Productions, and the Qbert segments from the show aired from 1983 to 1986. The show is set in a sort of greaser 1950s place called Qberg and stars Qbert as a high school student. He was given arms and legs and also the ability to shoot projectiles from his nose, just like in the original demo version of the game. It's a fun show, a lot of fun stuff. One of my favorites is the constant addition of the letter Q to words to have all sorts of puns. In addition to this great cartoon, Qbert also had a lot of other great merchandise, probably because he's adorable. There were toys, stuffed animals, coloring books, board games, you name it, and Qbert's face was probably on it. Gottlieb really struck gold when they made Qbert. They had created an interesting new form of gaming, and while doing so, managed to create an endearing character that could inhabit that world. In a time when we have lots of retro gaming titles making it onto modern consoles, I've always found it strange that Qbert has never been reimagined. Perhaps there's been people out there pitching the idea, trying to come up with a gameplay system that people on today's modern consoles would like. Last night, I decided to play some Qbert here at home, and the game holds up. So I think it's only a matter of time before we see that happen. If not, it's a shame, because people are missing out on a wonderful character. But, at the same time, maybe it encourages them to play the older game, which is a solid arcade experience. If you see it in an arcade, play it. Hopefully they have that knocker on. Listen for the sounds, get immersed, and enjoy it. Qbert is arcade magic and worth your time.
Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can also follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks to Metagirl for another great top five list. If you have suggestions for the top five list or just some feedback, you can email Metagirl at metagirl at retroist.com. Thanks to Vic Sage for another great installment of Why Should I Know This Person? If you have feedback for Vic, you can email him at vicsage at retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Oh, Cubert. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.